Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Amen. Where is my harvest part two? So I'll give you a quick summary. To start out, I'd like to read Galatians 6, 9. It says, so let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. We'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And so a couple of observations, I'll read it to you in the New King James. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap. Say due season. So in its time, in the proper season, right? Amen. In due season we shall reap. So obviously the Bible guarantees, the Bible says you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always reap what you sow. That's, that's applicable to everything. Um, that's applicable to your finances. The Bible teaches and we'll cover some of these points, but the Bible teaches that there are, there are promises in the word of God for our sowing and our reaping financially. Amen. That's what Jesus said, Luke 6. Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that if I sow a seed, Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 9, that, that if I sowed sparingly, God, I would reap sparingly. If I sowed generously, I'd reap generously. And according to the seed that I sow, God would increase me and enrich me in material goods. So it works financially, but it also works in every other aspect of your life. Whatever you're, whatever you're believing for, you know, serving the Lord. There's a lot of people that, that they serve God. And it just seems like everything, every attack from hell tries to come against them as soon as they decide to start serving the Lord. It's like they start serving the Lord. Their family turns against them. Their friends turns against them. It just, everything seems to come against them to make it extremely difficult. And there's Christians that cry out and say, is it always going to be like this? Is it always just going to be this hard struggle? I can't seem to get ahead. I can't seem to get a break. I can't seem to catch my breath. Has anybody ever felt like that? The Bible says, don't grow weary in, in doing good, for you will reap. Say, I will reap. You will reap. And so obviously the Bible's giving us this warning because God understood that it, it would be a temptation for people to become weary in between planting a seed and reaping a harvest. Are you with me? Whether that be financial, that they would, there's a temptation to become weary. There's a temptation to burn out. There's a temptation to walk away. There's a temptation to get in doubt and unbelief and, and all of these things. But don't grow weary in well-doing. You will reap. And so a lot of Christians have done that. This is kind of the, the premise. It's a question. Where is my harvest? Where is my financial harvest? Come on, who's ever asked that question before? Where is this blessing? Where is all these promises in the word of God? Where is, why is it my faith materializing? And so I'm going to cover that tonight. I'll get into part two of this. And so let me just make something very clear. As I just said, there are promises in the word of God in regards to sowing and reaping. Can you say amen? 
Like financial, there's financial promises in the word of God. Malachi chapter 3, 9 through 10, bring your tithe to the storehouse. If you do, says the Lord, see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Let me just go ahead and say this. How many Christians have acted on that word before and said, Lord, I brought my tithe to the storehouse, but now I'm in that in-between season, right? I'm in that in-between time of bringing my tithe to the storehouse and actually seeing the windows of heaven open up and you pour out a blessing so great, I don't have enough room to take it in. And it's in that in-between season where you may be looking around saying, where the heck is all of these things that God promised in his word? And that's what I want to help deal with tonight. Amen. Amen. There's promises in the word of God, which we'll, we'll actually look at a few of these. John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and John chapter 16 for answered prayer. Jesus said, ask, you shall receive. He said, you haven't done this before, John chapter 14, but ask using my name and you shall receive and you'll have abundant joy. John chapter 15, Jesus said, if my words remain in you and you remain in me, you can ask of anything you want and it shall be given to you. John chapter 16, Jesus said, you haven't done this before, but you'll go to the Father directly. You don't even have to ask me, you'll go to him and you'll ask using my name and you shall receive. So there's a promise for answered prayer in the Bible, right? As Christians, our, our prayers aren't supposed to. If you look at the Bible, I'm not saying experience because, guys, the reality is a lot of people would say, well, the Bible says one thing, but I experience another thing. But you can't let your theology be dictated by what you experience. You know, you have to actually begin to question your experience and say, if the word of God says this, I've decided the word of God is true, so therefore what's wrong? What is going on? in my experience, that could be producing a different result than what the Word of God promises. Are you guys with me? And so the Bible teaches answered prayer. But, say but. But the Bible does, teaches answered prayer, but it comes with contingencies. Right? There's, there's a catch, if you will, to, to this answered prayer. It's not just unfiltered. It's not just... Whosoever can say whatsoever and get whatsoever they say, no matter who they are or what they're doing, you know, that's not necessarily true. And I think that sometimes people grab a hold of that, and then they're, they're not seeing that go to work in their life because it doesn't work that way. And they're coming back saying, wait, I thought, that, I thought I could say this and do this and get all these results, but I'm not getting any results. So therefore, where is, how, where is the truth of God's word in this? You know, there are promises that we've been given all things in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20. It says, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you as God's ultimate yes. He always does what he says. He always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. They have been. So here's the reality. Every promise that God's given in this word was fulfilled in Christ. What does that mean? That Jesus brought us into a covenant where we have been given all of these promises. All of them. All of them. All of the promises of Deuteronomy chapter 28, we've been given these, right? And Deuteronomy 8, the power. I'm just cherry picking a few. I am the Lord who gives you the power to create wealth. We've been given that promise. We've been given the promise of uh, Isaiah 53, he was, he was beaten so that I could be whole. He was whipped so that I could be healed. 
I'm just cherry picking a few, but we've been given all the promises of God. And the promises of God pertain to every, every area of life. Healing, deliverance, amen. Uh, 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 the promises of God can really be summarized when you look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the, the will of God, the promises of God is, a, is a, a, a land overflowing with milk and honey in our lives. You know, and I also think, though, that that, that looks different for every person, but I, but I do believe, you know, because some people, like, that doesn't mean every single Christian's going to have a $10 billion mansion and car. You know, some people don't even, like, care about that. And I should actually say that if, if your heart's really connected with the Lord, you probably won't care about that, you know? Are you with me? But, it, but the promises of God is you being spiritually overflowing, emotionally overflowing, like in a good, man, you have the joy of the Lord. You have peace that surpasses all understanding. Relationally overflowing. And then even applies financially overflowing. Are you guys with me? More than enough. Blessed. Say blessed. You know, and I'm just going to be honest with you guys too, because that's why the prosperity... I, I, I said this Sunday, but I really do believe there's so much going on in the world right now. Who watched the broadcast this morning? The title of the broadcast was, What's Going On in China? Are We on the Verge of World War, Chap- uh, World War III? And let's, let's examine the characteristics of Christ. So it was, a, it was a wide spectrum of different topics. But just so you know, that there is, uh, there is possible war being threatened with China, Russia, and the United States of America right now. There's all kinds of things happening financially. You know, the world reserve currency has been being changed over to the Chinese yuan. I could get into all of that. But here's, here's kind of my point, is that I think even in America, prosperity may look different very soon. I think that the church being able to prosper may not look like millions and millions of dollars in a bank account. Do you know why? Because the way the bank accounts are going to be set up, if you say anything they don't like, they'll freeze your bank account and you can't use it, so therefore you can't even rely on that. Are you with me? You'll have to actually acquire and measure it in different ways. Heck, maybe prosperity for a church may look like being able to operate at a local level, have everything that we need, have people getting reached with the gospel despite all of those things, despite accounts being frozen, and despite persecution and resistance, but yet the kingdom of heaven is still advancing, and and we're overflowing in every area of life. Are you guys with me? Hallelujah. Okay. All right. So there's all these promises in the word of God. But I'm going to tell you that when you get saved, although all of those promises have been given to you the moment you get saved, there is now a process of you becoming a person that can actually possess those promises. When did God promise Israel the promised land? When they got there? Back in Egypt. But did they go straight from Egypt to the promised land? No, they didn't. Say no, they didn't. They actually went into the wilderness for 40 years. And I'm not telling you you have to go into the wilderness for 40 years, but what Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. But here's the similarity. They both went into the wilderness. But it took Jesus 40 days what they couldn't do in 40 years. 
So it's not about a length of time of, I have to spend my whole life wandering around, but there's one thing that can't be avoided. We have to undergo the process of God dealing with our flesh, dealing with these things that have to go in order for us to be able to possess the promises of God. Okay, y'all still with me? Because it's true, all of these things have been given. You could take that verse and you could say, all right, well, if all these things have been given in Christ, I have all the promises of God fulfilled, then I'm going to get a house in Jesus' name. I'm going to get a car in Jesus' name. I'm going to get a million dollars in Jesus' name. I'm going to get all these things in Jesus' name. And the reality is Christians are standing back, a lot of them, and saying, Wait, where, where is all of this? Now, am I saying that God doesn't promise land in his word? He does. Say he does. In fact, that's actually a part of wealth in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I am the Lord that has given you the power to create wealth. Say wealth. And he defines wealth in that chapter. Ready? As houses, that's land, livestock, gold, and silver. And you could see that everybody God made a covenant with. Abraham, he gave him wealth. Isaac, he gave him wealth. Jacob gave him wealth. David turned over the entire land to him. So the question is, a lot of people are standing in that place. Where, where is this? Where is my, I've been sowing, I've been tithing, I've been doing these things, and where is my harvest? How come I'm not seeing a 30, 60, 100-fold harvest in my life? I want to answer some of these questions. This was the summary from last week. Number one, the point, not from last week, from Sunday, the main point was this. God will not allow you to enter into the prosperity. We didn't fix the typo. God will not allow you to enter into prosperity without being rooted in the person of Jesus and the gospel. Can you say that? Say, God will not allow me to enter into prosperity without being rooted in the person of Jesus and the gospel. You know, I really do think, though, that this is like higher, the, the proper context of this truly is higher levels of prosperity. Because I do believe this. I do believe that, that according to God's word, every believer has been given a covenant promise to operate in high, le high levels of prosperity, like physical prosperity. I believe that. But although that's true, I don't believe every believer will step into that place, even though they could, potentially. But that just because you can doesn't mean you will. Uh, because if you actually even think about it, you could take that. And the reason I use the word prosperity and not the promises of God, because you could take that and say, the Lord won't let me enter into healing without first being a person, a, 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 without being rooted in the person of Jesus and the gospel. That's a false statement. Jesus healed the sick all the time. They had really no idea who he was. In fact, even, in, the, even the, uh, in Exodus, when he led the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness, he healed them. Even before he brought them into the promised land, didn't he? He healed them. He led them out. There was none feeble among his tribe, their tribe. Not only did he heal them, but he provided for them. He gave them manna from heaven. He gave them water to drink. So there's provision. But I'm talking about entering to a place of, of, of overflow, where the land is overflowing with milk and honey. They could not enter into that place without first undergoing the process of becoming 
people that could possess that promise. God will not allow me, he won't allow you, he won't allow us to enter into prosperity without being rooted in the person of Jesus and the gospel. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I assure you this, so he's, he's promising them this land in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says that there's this land, this good land flowing with streams, a pool of waters and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It's a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil and honey. It's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as the stone and copper is as abundant in the hills. When you've eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you don't forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands. For when you've become prosperous and you've built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your gold and silver have multiplied with everything else, be careful. So I want you to skip on down to verse 19. But I, I, but I assure you of this, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. So he's saying, as I, if I take you into the promised land and you enter into the promised land without getting this flesh worked out of you, what would happen? The promised land will cause you to be destroyed. Are you with me? So this level of prosperity, this level of blessing will actually destroy you if you're not rooted in the person in the heart of Jesus. And so I'll give you two concluding points from Sunday. Number one, the promises of God without the person of God will destroy you. The promises of God without the person of God will destroy you. What do I mean by that, guys? We're not, we can't be teaching people how to move mountains with faith and how to get all these things and how to use faith as principles to get success and wealth and, and all of that without first introducing them to the person of Jesus Christ and allowing them to become rooted in the gospel, right? Because if your heart's not rooted in the gospel and rooted, totally surrendered to the kingdom of God, none of that other stuff even makes sense. All of it is is that God just becomes a lottery ticket and he becomes a slot machine that you're pulling in Vegas and he becomes a, a, a quick way to achieve success and, and that's not what it is. First, you have to be rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And you see this in the story of God leading the Israelites into the promised land. was because they ever, before Moses ever took them into the promised land, he took them to Mount Sinai first. Say first. Come on, say first. Come on, shake your neighbor a little bit and say, wake up and say first. Why did Moses take them from Egypt? Why didn't they go straight into the overflowing land? He took them to Sinai. Why? Because that's where he had the burning bush experience. And so he had to realize these people have to meet him like I met him. 
These people, they need to get that fire like I got that fire. They need to hear his voice like I heard his voice. They need to be introduced to the person of God before they're ever able to handle the promises of God. Are you guys with me? And so there's a lot of people saying, where, Lord's my harvest? Where I've sown, I've sown the seed, I've done all the stuff, but where's the manifestation? And the Lord's like, you're in this time. We, instead of being so worried about where's this manifestation and where's this harvest, you should let me work on you to become a person that prosperity wouldn't destroy. I'm being honest with you. The reality is for a lot of Christians, if they were to receive a hundredfold return on the seed that they sowed, they would stop serving Jesus by the end of the year. Are you guys with me? Because there's very few people I really believe in with spiritual maturity that could handle multi, multi millions of dollars. There's people in the church if they they because they'll act on the word of God. Okay, wow. Because we, you know, we give to get. We're going to give to get. We're going to give and sow the seed and reap this huge harvest. And they're totally disconnected from the person of God and from the heart of the gospel. And so, therefore, if the Lord even answered that prayer, and let's say they gave, you know, $10,000. What's a hundredfold return on $10,000? Anybody? Now it's more than a hundred. A hundredfold. It's a million, right? It's a million dollars. A hundredfold return on $10,000. How many Christians over the span of a year would say, I gave over $10,000? Come on. A few? Well, uh, maybe that was a bad, uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm just saying that, you know, that average is out. If, you're, if you give all the time, you're like, man, I gave, that's less than $1,000 a month. Um, but the reality is there's a, lot of, there's a lot of men. If they were given millions of dollars by the Lord today, they would leave their wife tomorrow. Are you guys with me? There's people that even, even their idea of harvest is like, I'm going to reap this, this huge harvest. God's going to blow us up. God's going to take us to this level of success. And guess what? We're going to pack up and we're going to be hitting the road six months out of the year. Fiji, here we come. Barbados, here we come. Hawaii, here we come. I'm not talking about going on a vacation, but I'm talking about the manifestation of that blessing would actually cause them to leave their assignment from the Lord. It would cause them to walk away from the kingdom. It would cause them to become unrooted from the local church, the ecclesia. And so therefore, they can't even handle the promises of God because their heart's not even rooted in the person of God and in the cause of the gospel. Are you guys with me? So the promises of God without the person of God will destroy you. If I don't figure out who he is, I'll never be able to handle these promises. I'll never be able to handle this ultra, mega, mighty, huge, triple-fold, quadruple-fold blessing on my life if I don't get with Jesus and get with the Holy Ghost and let him do a deep, refining work on the inside of me. Are you all with me? Okay, the second conclusion from last week is this. The time, put that up on the screen for me, please. The time spent between your faith being released and the manifestation of that promise is designed to turn you into the person who can inherit the promises of God. Let me say that again. The time spent in between your faith being released, right? Everything in the kingdom starts in seed form. Every, say everything. 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 There's not one thing. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, everything that God promises must be possessed by faith. 
And the Bible says that faith is like a mustard seed. It starts out as a small seed, but then it, be, it grows and becomes the largest plant in all of the garden, right? So not just money. I mean, anything in your life, any promise that you would believe to be manifest in your life, it, it, it's going to be a progression. That means I don't believe instantaneously today and then see this huge, huge manifested thing tomorrow. That's not the way that faith works. Are you guys with me? Faith starts as a, even think about that, like Psalms chapter 1. I'm going to be a tree planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season, whose leaves never wither and prospers in everything that I do. Before you can be a tree who's bearing fruit, you have to be a seed. And that seed has to grow to become a tree. So what do you do in the process? What's, what's that in-between time from the moment that the seed's planted to the time that this thing is a tree in my life producing all of this fruit? What's that in-between time about? That in-between time is about God turning you into the person who can inherit the promises from the word. Are you guys with me? I said it to you like this. Who's, who's over 50? Right? Who's been blessed by God? Come on, raise your hand. What if God gave you the blessing that you have right now when you were 19 years old? What would have happened? Come on, anybody? Sunday, I had somebody in the back say, oh, man. They were sitting there going, I would have went bizarre. That's the, that's the reality because you weren't ready for it at 19. Are you with me? You know, it's funny. The Lord just shows you things through simple things. But my, my, my one and a half, well, almost two-year-old daughter, she's turning two now. It's crazy was sitting in her car seat, and her sister sits in the back, and she sits in the car seat facing her. And so I was putting in her car seat, and she always, she always points and goes, mm, back, mm, back. She wants to sit in the back. And I told her, I said, honey, I love you. You'll sit in the back very soon, but you're not big enough to sit in the back yet. You're not, you have to grow a little bit more before you can sit in the back. Because actually, if I were to sit you in the back right now, improperly, and we were to get in a wreck, sitting in the back would actually hurt you. So therefore, you have to grow a little bit more before you can safely and properly sit in the back seat. And the Lord gave me that light bulb and was like, "That's what the, I'm a loving father. Are you guys with me? Okay, amen. Today, all right, you guys ready for the message today? You're like, that's not the message today? <laughs> Who's still good? Come on. Where is my harvest? I've been just been speaking out of, because to me, the thing I've been diving into more than anything is character development. I've told the Lord, I said, Lord, I want to produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want to produce the character of Christ in my life. So let's answer this question. How come I've sowed seed, but yet I haven't seen any harvest from it? How come I believe for something, but my faith produced nothing? How come? Well, today I'm going to bring this aspect to you, and, and it's this. Today, your faith won't work to fulfill carnal desires. Your faith will not work 
to fulfill carnal desires. As much as, it doesn't matter if I like that or don't, it doesn't matter if you like that or don't, the scripture explicitly says this. Our faith won't work to fulfill carnal desires. Are you guys with me? So again, it's like, Lord, how come, where's, you know, that's like the reality. You have to check yourself. Unless you're just so, like, adamant, like, I want to see this thing proven for the glory of the Lord's name's sake. That's one thing. But a lot of people that are constantly pounding heaven, where's my harvest, Lord? Where's my harvest, Lord? Where's my harvest? Maybe you need to do a heart check and say, hey, hold on a second. What, 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 what is the issue here with that? Is there any carnality behind why I'm being so adamant about some of these things? Are you guys with me? And if there is, then I have to actually realize that my faith won't come behind this and ever produce what I'm believing for because faith won't work to fulfill carnal desires. Look at James 4, 1 through 3. Look what James says. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Guys, I'm going to tell you one way you can know if I'm operating in carnal desires is when I want what I don't have. Are you guys with me? The Bible says be content in all things. People think faith is just a formula to get what they don't have. And people are trying to use faith as a formula, totally disconnected from the person of God to get what they don't have. And they're realizing very quickly that it doesn't work. And they're saying, where's my harvest? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have. I can tell you that there's carnality in you and there's carnality in me if I look at the blessing of God on another person's life and I'm jealous of what they have. Well, look at their house. I don't have a house like that. Look at their car. I don't have a car like that. Look at the money. I don't have the money like that. And then all of a sudden now you're actually coveting. You're envious. You're jealous of what another person has. Are you guys with me? We are to be content with what the Lord. Man, Paul said, I know how to abound and I know how to abase. And the Bible is very clear is that when you truly can get content, saying, I'm content truly. I'm, I'm not just like saying it. I'm not just lying to myself. I'm content with what I have right now. We begin to qualify to become a person that God can entrust more to. Why? Because it doesn't have us. It doesn't have our heart. It won't cause us to be led astray from him. It won't become an idol or an issue in our life. I'll talk about some of these things. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it from them. And then he says, yeah, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Right? But then look at this next line. Even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. I looked at the Greek there, and I found, surprisingly enough, I usually don't read the Passion Translation much, but it it was actually surprisingly accurate to the Greek proper translation. The Passion Translation says, and if you ask, you won't receive it, for you're asking with corrupt motives. 
Seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. So what did James say? Your faith isn't working because the motive behind your faith is to only appease your own selfish desires. Why is it my faith working? Well, what are you using your faith to work for? James 4, 1 through 3. I love the way that the King James, New King James says it. Yet, I'll just read verse 3. Yet you don't have what you, you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask, you do not receive. So here's that question. Why do I sow and why do I not receive? Why do I ask and why do I not seem to get answers to my prayers and things are actually happening and moving? He said, because you ask amiss. Say amiss. You don't pray because you're praying amiss. Did you know that you could pray amiss? Anybody know that? You can pray amiss. And I've always been taught praying amiss means that you're just praying contrary to the word of God, which is kind of true. But like I've always heard it taught in the context of, right, that's like me praying amiss would be me going to the Lord saying, Lord, if it be your will, let me be healed. Well, I just prayed amiss because obviously it's God's will that I'm healed. But in in proper context, look what he says. Because you pray amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So we'll circle back to this in just a moment, okay? Write this down for your first point tonight. Number one, the promises of faith don't work disconnected from the heart and person of Jesus. The promises of faith don't work disconnected from the heart and the person of Jesus. So you ask amiss, say amiss. The Greek word amiss means wrongly. You asked wrongly, you asked sickly, you asked improperly. And I think that this is interesting. What does it mean to actually pray amiss? Wrong motives. Say wrong motives. Praying amiss is not saying, Lord, if it be your will to heal me. Praying amiss is having the wrong motive in your heart when you're asking God for something. And he said that if the motive in your heart is to only, what does the passion say? To fulfill your own selfish desires, you'll ask amiss. And therefore, because you ask with the wrong motive, you will not receive the thing that you ask for. So what can we conclude here? The promises of faith don't work disconnected from the heart and the person of Jesus. What do I mean by the promises of faith? Come on, what do I mean by the promises of faith? Let's look at John chapter 14. I referenced it, but let's look at it. You know, there's one rule when reading the Bible, and it's a very important rule. And it's this. To properly interpret the scripture, you must let the Bible interpret the Bible. It means you can't take one thing and just build your life on just one thing. You have to take something, but then also... If if the word of God addresses that subject later and adds more parameters to it, you have to then interpret the Bible using the Bible and add those parameters. Are you with me? So like, let's look at John chapter 14. This is about prayer. He says, you can ask for anything in my name 
and I'll do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So people could say, well, I started asking in his name, and I didn't receive. Yeah, that's because James said, here's another parameter added to it. You have to ask, but you have to ask with the right motive. You can't be asking for something that only satisfies your own selfish desires. Do you see that? That's a promise of faith. I can ask for anything. John chapter 15. And we'll come back to this verse many times, but... If you remain in me and my words remain in you. So look, this is contingent upon remaining in Christ. I'll talk about that in a moment. You can ask me for anything you want, and it will be granted. You can ask me for anything you want, and it will be granted. Given what? I remain in Christ. Amen. You guys with me? So the question is, what does it mean to remain in Christ? Well, I'm going to tell you, it actually has something to do with this motive that I'm talking about. Mark, what's another promise of faith? Mark 11. One of our favorites, right? Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown in the sea, and it will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you received it, it will be yours. But this still applies that parameter, right? I can use my faith to do all of these things, but if if I'm just trying to use my faith to appease selfish desire, then I will not receive, I can pray for anything, but I won't receive what I'm praying for. Are you guys with me? In fact, he actually, because a lot of times people leave out the next verse, but when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. So I'll talk about that. It was contingent upon walking in love. We'll get to some of that. Is this being helpful to anybody? I can't tell if you guys are like falling asleep and thinking this is dry as dirt or if you're enjoying this. I don't know. Half of you guys are dozing off. Okay, thanks. Brother Chance, I heard you, Brother Sam. Thanks for the encouragement. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now I'm giving you all a hard time. Don't come up to me after. Brother John, we're listening to you. If we're half asleep, it doesn't mean we're not listening. If I'm snoring, just I'm receiving in my spirit. Are you okay? Are you guys still with me? So, the promise of faith doesn't work disconnected from the heart of the. So that means that if I am disconnected from Jesus, He said, "Remain in me." I have to be in Christ. We'll look at that in a moment. But if I'm not, then all of these promises of answered prayer and faith don't work. Amen. They don't work. They don't work. So we may be asking, Lord, where is my harvest? One question to ask is, am I trying to run with the promises of God while I'm living totally disconnected from the person and the heart of the God of those promises? So here's a good question to ask yourself. For whatever you're believing for, for whatever you sow for, why do I want what I want? Say that. Say why. Do I want what I want? 
Why, why do you, okay, I'm, you're like, man, I'm believing God for this dream home. Praise the Lord. Why? Really, is that a good thing? Yes. Could we find scripture that says that God would actually give that to you? I believe yes. But the real question is, why do you want that? Are you guys with me? Why do I want that? Is there, is there carnality in me? Is there something in me, what I mean by that, that it's just, it's only for selfish reason and it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God and it has nothing to do to benefit other people at all? Then according to the scripture, we're violating that law there. People were never supposed to know the promises, the promised land of God apart from knowing the God of the promises. I actually heard a great teacher, John Bevere, say that, that in the Word of Faith movement, it was amazing. But guys, the Word of Faith movement was given to the body of Christ. It was given to Christians, right, who already had holiness, who already had, like, this relationship with God. It was given to those people to teach them now, hey, you got this. You're rooted in Christ. You're saved. You're raising your children up. You go to church. You're serving the Lord. Now we're going to teach you how to actually enter into the promised land. But something actually did take place where now new people were coming in, and we were teaching them all about the promised land and the promises, but they were never getting introduced to the person of God. Number two, where, say, where's my harvest? This is interesting. I've never seen this before, but number two, the devil will tempt you to replace your relationship with God with the principles of faith. Don't worry. If you're like, what the heck does that mean? I'll explain it. Maybe I need to do, like, make it more simple. The devil will tempt you to replace your relationship with God with the principles of faith. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are running with the principles of faith, but they don't even know God. Every day they wake up and they know the word says to spin around, bop themselves on the head and bark three times. And if they do those things, then this is what they're going to get. And so they get up every morning and then they spin around and they bop themselves on the head and they, and then they're looking around saying, where's all this stuff? But yet they don't have any relationship with God whatsoever. They're bopping on the head and barking like the dog, but they're not walking. They're not walking with God. They have no intimacy. They're not connected to the Lord in any way whatsoever. And so you can't replace God, your relationship with God, with principles from the Word of God to possess success. Are you guys with me? I mean, guys, I'm telling you, I believe in success. I believe in all of this, but you can't replace these principles to achieve all of that with a real relationship with God. And you can always know, because guys, when you really break it down, there's not 55 steps that are so complex and, oh my gosh, I, I messed this thing up. It's very simple. If you will actually just walk with the Lord, do these two things, believe and love as I have commanded you to love. You'll remain in fellowship with me, and if you remain in fellowship with me, you'll be connected and you'll produce much fruit, and in that place you can ask me for anything you want and it'll be granted to you. Most people, maybe they don't speak at all, but then there's a lot of people, they'll speak faith. Speak faith, faith, faith. They'll speak faith 50 times that day to possess some type of promise, but yet not one time in that day did they say, hey, Father, 
I love you. I worship you. I praise you. I serve you. Father, why don't you reveal your father? You know, have any kind of intimate connection with the Father, with the Holy Ghost at all. So what did they do? They've actually replaced their relationship with God, with the principles of faith. Then what's the difference between the Bible and Oprah Winfrey's 10 steps to a better life? If that's what you're doing. Well, at least the Bible works, but, right? <laughs> okay. The devil will tempt you to replace your relationship with God with principles of faith. Look at Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read the temptation of Jesus. Verse 4. The Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness to fast where he became very hungry. During that time, the devil came, verse 3, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. First temptation, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold, up your, their, uh, they will hold you up with their hands. You won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. The next day, the devil, I'm sorry, next the devil took him. I don't even be adding words, right? Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. He said, I'll give it all to you if you'll kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Okay, here's the first. I read Finnis Dake, so right, he's a lot smarter than me. And he brought some observations that I've read before but I've never seen in this light. That I thought was very great. The first temptation was what? Turn these stones into loaves. What was the devil? This was his observation. The devil's temptation to Jesus was this. Use your miraculous power to supply ordinary and personal needs at my command. Use your miraculous power, Jesus, to supply ordinary needs and personal needs at my command command I'll read you some of my notes and then maybe we'll talk about it maybe the inspiration will hit me more so I can explain this but this is contrary so what Jesus this is contrary to the position of I have all things in Christ so I demand in faith certain things right I have all things in Christ so I have a need, I'm just going to demand, I'm going to use the principles of faith. Jesus could have used the principles of faith, don't you think? He could have used the principles. He was the son of God. Did he not have the ability to turn those stones into bread if he wanted to do it? Could he have done it? He said nothing's impossible to the one that believes. Could he have done it? Yet he, he could, but yet he didn't. Why? Because he said, I'm not going to step outside of my relationship with God to just use my faith or use some principle to, to meet some personal need. I don't live off of bread alone. I live off of every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the next, Jesus seems to be modeling that even though he had the birthright and power to do this, he relied on God to feed him and sustain him, not on his power or rights. 
Interesting. The next temptation, proved by your sonship, by a special demonstration of God's protection. Be reckless and make a spectacle of your power. The next temptation was use your power. Use my power, Satan said, my influence, my worldly organizations and kingdoms, and become great among men whom you seek to get power over. So, all of these deal with the display of power. Satan was trying to get Jesus to display power, right? One of the main attacks of Satan here was to get Jesus to use his power apart from the directing of the Father. Are you guys with me? Let me just put it very simple. I'm believing God for a house. Did God tell you to believe him for that house? Are you with me? Well, I'm believing God for a car. Did the, but, okay, all, the, we have right to all these things. Jesus had right to all these things, but yet he said, I don't step outside of my Father's orders. I only do what I see him do. I, I only use my faith when my Father tells me to use my faith. I don't just use the principles of faith to replace my relationship with God. Are you guys with me? Well, I'm believing God for this car. Wonderful. Did the Lord tell you to believe him for that car, though? Does that make sense to everybody? Are y'all with me? Jesus said, I could turn these stones into bread, but my father didn't tell me to turn these stones into bread. So therefore, I'm relying on, on him to sustain me. You guys with me? I could use my birthright. I could use the promise that I've received all things in Christ to get this thing or to get that thing, but yet the Father hasn't directed me to do that. So I'm going to sit my butt happy and plump right here and praise God for what he's given me and, and only move at his command and his leading. That's why apart from a relationship with the Holy Ghost, that none of this stuff works. None of this works without a relationship. If you just try to use these things apart from the relationship aspect, you're going to sit there and say, holy cow, I tried to do this thing and it didn't work. Where's my harvest? Am I like getting too deep tonight? No? Okay. All right, let's get moving. We got one more point. It seems like I've covered a lot, but it's not even 8 o'clock yet. This is early for me. Either this is deep, let's just say it's deep, amen. <laughs> you guys, I will say this, if you're so focused on an immediate harvest, check your motives. Check your motives. If you're so, I'm, I'm saying this, John, look at, if you're focused on an immediate thing, check my motives. You know, one of the positions, the characteristics of Christ is meekness. You know, it's one thing if God, let me give you an example. It's one thing if God tells me to believe for a thousand members. It's another thing for me to get discontent with this and start by the flesh. I'm going to have a thousand members. And then at the quit, why? Okay, would it be good? Yes. Is there promises in the word to achieve it? Yes. But is there, is there a motive? I'm just saying like a hypothetical, is there a motive? Well, what happens with a thousand members? Oh, well, maybe you get more prestigious. Maybe you get this, you get all this. And then now all of a sudden, the motive behind what you're believing for is not even right. Are you with me? So I always have to check. And you know, there's people, 
I challenged you with this. Where's my harvest? Where's my harvest? Where's my 30? Where's my 60? Where's my hundredfold return? And my question is, what if, right? What if instead of being so persistent on where's this blessing, where's this greatness, where's all of this stuff, what if you took that same passion and that same zeal and you begin to turn it on yourself and say, how about, Lord, you do a work in me? What if I got that same passion and said, where's love, where's joy, where's peace, where's my patience, where's my kindness, where's my goodness, where's faithfulness, where's gentleness, where's self-control in my life? And I actually let the Lord turn me into a person that could enter into the promised land. Amen. Come on, amen. amen. I wrote this down under the, the devil will tempt you to replace your relationship with God with the principles of faith. You can't use the principles of God to achieve success and be disconnected from him. Jesus said that in John chapter 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing means I can have all the principles. I can say, I can speak to the mountain a thousand billion quintillion times a day and say the right thing and not speak doubt and do all this stuff. But if I am not abiding in him, guess what? I can produce absolutely nothing and get no result to my faith. So the real question is, how do I abide in him? And I'll tell you, this is a healthy, so again, if you're focused on immediate harvest, check your motives. Here's a good position to take in life. Are you guys ready for this? Trust in the promises of God in regards to your harvest. Okay, Lord, I trust in your goodness. I trust in, the Bible says that you cannot mock the justice of God. I will reap what I sow. If I serve the Lord, He'll see to it that I'm a blessed man. If you serve the Lord, he will see to it that you're a blessed woman. If my family will serve the Lord, then God will not. He's not a liar. He always does what he says. So therefore, I don't need to be so worried about where's the manifestation of all of this stuff right now. I have confidence that God is bringing it to me in his time. Right? In his time. Saying it's time. Guys, and I'm not talking about your healing. As we said, in that wilderness season, there wasn't like you get healed one day when you, they got healed, they got provided for. God will provide your needs. God will heal you. Those are promises that belong to you. It, it, it belongs to you today. But I'm talking about stepping into this greater I don't know, maybe if you're believing for a business, if you're believing for something like large, there's a calling on your life. There's a progress, there's a progression. I actually had some wisdom. I look back and I'm like, man, that must have been the Holy Ghost because that was awfully wise. When I was like 21, we were working at Mana Outreach. And uh, this guy, he, uh, this is like a paraphrase. I can't remember the exact conversation, but he told me, he said, Brother John, I wish somebody would come and give you a million dollars because we had this huge vision for this big ministry, right? I wish somebody would come and give you a million dollars tomorrow. And I, and I said this, and look, I know there's people that will totally disagree with me. But I told him, I don't. And he said, why? And I said, because part of the process 
is going to be walking down the journey of God changing me into the person that could handle the million dollars. Part of the process from me today to the time when that actually comes is becoming the man, becoming the person that could handle that promise from the, from the Lord. Are you guys with me? Trust in the promises of God in regards to your harvest and accept what he has given you in meekness. You know, the Bible says that, that unless the Lord builds the house, the worker labors in vain. The Bible says that he lifts some up and he brings some down. The Bible says humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due season he'll lift you up. The Bible says that promotion doesn't come from the east, the south, or the west. It comes from above. It comes from the north. It comes from the Lord. Here's the ultimate reality. I want you to think about the amount of money that you make right now. Think about that. That is what, unless you're just not working, right? Then you're in disobedience to the word of God. But if you're walking, let me just put, like, put some more parameters to this. If you're where God has called you to be, 100%, you know, I'm doing what God's called me to do. Then you can boldly say, and, and say with a smile on your face, this portion that I have is the portion that the Lord has given me. Come on, somebody. This portion that I have is the portion that the Lord has given me, and I am going to be content, and I am going to be happy. Amen. And I'm going to follow the Holy Ghost and not be so obsessed with my success and my all of these other things. Now, I'm telling you that that's actually an important heart posture because the kingdom works totally backwards. You say, so then success doesn't matter. No, I'm telling you, the people that will truly submit to that place and follow the Holy Ghost, you'll see the Lord be able to bless you. Because you can handle it. Because we can handle it. Amen. Okay. Last point tonight, number three. Where is my harvest? Why isn't my faith producing? Where's all this stuff? Where's all this at? Number three, if your motives violate the law of love, there is no guarantee of your faith being answered. If your motives, remember you ask but you don't receive because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will appease your, your selfish desires. That's what the, the Greek actually reads. Turn back to first, uh, James chapter 4. I'll give you an example of this. So right in, in one example of this law of love, we'll look at what that means in just a moment, but James is talking about a person that prays and doesn't get an answer to their prayer. And look at a key that he actually says. James 4, 1 through 3. Um, let's look at verse 2. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous. I already mentioned this, but you are jealous of what others have. Say jealous. Well, if I'm jealous of what another person has, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. So if I'm jealous of what another person have, has and love is not jealous, what does that mean? I'm actually, I'm disobeying the law of love. Wow, what's the law of love? This is the commandment that I give unto you. Love the Lord your God with everything that's in you 
Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, I give you this new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. So if I'm actually jealous, I'm violating that law of love. What does that mean? I'm I'm in disobedience to the Lord. I'll take it a step further for you here. 1 John 3, I've been reading this, I think, every service I've turned back here. And don't worry, if you're like, I don't know if I get this, I'll I'll help simplify it at the end. Verse 21 of 1 John chapter 3, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive what, we will receive from him whatever we ask. Wow. Here's answered prayer. Here's answered faith. Here's a promise for answered prayer and answered faith. We will receive. Say, we will receive. Whatever we ask, because, here's the contingency, though, we obey him and do the things that please him. So say, obey him. So he says, James is saying that if, I'm sorry, John is saying that if we will obey God, then one of the perks is we will receive answers to whatever prayer we pray to the Lord. So here's the question then, what does it really mean to obey God? What does it really mean to obey God? Next verse. This is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So if I'll obey him by what? Believing and walking in love to my brethren then I'll enter into this place operating in the law of love where I can ask for anything and the Lord will give it to me. Look what he goes on to say. Those who obey God's commandments will remain in fellowship with him. How do I walk in fellowship with God? Believe, say believe. Say walk in love. And not just my version of love. I've been teaching on love. Look at what we just read. 1 Corinthians 13. What does it mean to really love? What, not only are we supposed to love our way. Jesus said love as I have loved you. Prefer one another. Serve one another. Man, wash somebody's feet. Take the last. If you want to be first, you must become last. Think of others better than you think yourselves. Put others' needs even above your own. This is, this is the commandment of the new covenant. And so we always have to think about this selfishness. It's like Christians are living so disconnected. They don't love one another. They don't care for one another. Their lives are totally separated, and yet they're trying to use the principles of faith, and they're saying, why aren't these principles seeming to work in my life? It's because you're not even walking in fellowship with God, how he said in his word. So he said, "If if you'll obey me, you'll remain in fellowship with me. And then that's the promise that we saw in John 15. If you remain in me, say if you remain in me. And he just told us how. Obey, love one another. Is there music playing? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask me for anything that you want and it will be granted. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So you can write this down. Prayers are answered if we obey him and remain in fellowship with him. 
Prayers are answered if, say if, we obey him and remain in fellowship with him. Do you understand now why even the, the Bible told husbands that if you start treating your wife wrong, God won't answer your prayers? Well, why? Because you're violating the law of love. You're not walking in love. The moment I stop walking in love is the moment that I come out of fellowship with God. Now, do you think that he said, before you can move the mountain, first forgive anyone that sinned against you? Why do I have to forgive the one that sinned against me? Because if I have unforgiveness and bitterness towards a person, I am not walking in biblical love towards that person. And if I'm not walking in biblical love towards that person, I can't even walk in fellowship with God. Because God, it says God is love. God is light. What does it mean by he is light? Does that mean God doesn't have a body? No, he has a body. But it means that he lives, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he lives in, in permeating light. It means that if you were to go stand before the throne of God, you know what you would see is this light, this glory that's so bright, it's so strong. I mean, it's not that, that he just, it, he lives in the light. If you were to go stand before the throne of God, you know what you would feel? Love. Nothing but all-consuming, all-encompassing love. Therefore, if I have bitterness, hatred, and unforgiveness in my heart, I can't even stand in his presence because his presence is nothing but love. That's why it's actually impossible. You say, well, I have fellowship with God. Yeah, I walk with the Lord. Yeah, I love the Lord. And you're 10 years into it, and you still haven't got rid of unforgiveness? It's impossible to go to his throne room and stay there for any time, appointed time and that not get burnt out of you, where you just begin to, like, forgive people. <laughs> wow, Lord, I've messed up. I can definitely forgive them. Okay. So say the law of love. Your love is your conduct towards other people. Love involves other people. Amen. Say that. Love involves other people. So now do you understand what James was saying? You don't get what you ask for. Why? Because it's only about you. What you want is only about you. So here's some questions to ask yourself. Questions. Number one, will my harvest bless others? Will what I'm believing for bless others? Oh, man, I'm believing for a 30, 60, 100-fold return. Okay, the, Lord, the man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. If the Lord were truly to look at your heart, what would you do with a 30, 60, 100-fold return? Would it be a blessing to other people, or is it all about you? He said, it's all about me. <laughs> at least you're being honest. Hey, praise the Lord. Will my harvest bless others? Number two, will my harvest, whatever, whatever it is, how come I believe God for a Mercedes and I didn't get it? Because it's just all about you. How will this push forward the kingdom of God? Guys, I'm serious. Like, think about this. Do you know that there's millionaires that are in, like, Mercedes-Benz clubs? They, like, have car clubs and stuff, you know? Seriously. 
I'm saying, like, what if the heart, like, truly the heart of a person was the Lord told a believer, I want you to believe me for that, because what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you that, and it'll open a door to that, and you're going to make relationships, and I'm going to use you to bring the gospel to that circle. Now, all of a sudden, you're believing God for something, and it's not out of a selfish desire. The Lord actually told you to believe him for it, and it's not just all about you. It's actually using that thing for the benefit of other people. Well, Lord, I want this big, beautiful house. Why? So no one can come to it? So that you can't host anybody? So you won't be hospitable to anybody? You guys get what I'm saying? The Lord doesn't, he doesn't have to play games. He can look right there. That, I, look, you're lying. You're lying to me. I can look right through your flesh and your bones and your veins and your blood right into the innermost part of your being to every thought that you're thinking in your head. Will my harvest bless others, and will it push the kingdom of God forward? People are like, oh, man, I'm believing to go huge. I want to be J.C. Penney. I want to be Colgate. I want to be one of these Christian multi-multi-multi-millionaires. But if the Lord were to look at the heart, what is the motive of that? Is it truly because the ki- God, I, you can look at my heart and know that if, if that's the case, the kingdom of God will be pushed forward with this being in my hand. It's actually a really challenging thing. I have to constantly, constantly, constantly go before the Lord and like, Lord, deal with these things in my heart. Maybe you guys are super Christians, but I guess I'm not because I constantly have to go to the Lord and say, deal with this in my heart. Holy Ghost, burn this thing out of me. This lack of surrender to the gospel, get it out of me. So here's the two questions. Will my harvest bless others? Number two, will my harvest bless and push forward the kingdom of God? And I'll give you this conclusion here. If you could, you could come to this conclusion. If my heart doesn't constantly ponder these questions, is it possible that I have totally missed the heart of my Lord and Savior? If I'm not constantly pondering these questions in the pursuit of where's my harvest, where's my harvest, where's my harvest, is it possible that I've totally missed the heart of God himself? Here's the solution. Press into the word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to work these issues out of your heart. Let's, all of us, press into the word of the Lord, press into the word of God, ask the Holy Ghost to work these issues. You know, something I've been doing, I've been reading through the Gospels. Right now, I'm not reading anything else, just the Gospels. I've been spending like an hour on three verses, meditating like on the, I just want to look at the, the example of Jesus. And I've been doing this. I've been asking the Lord, okay, Lord, change me to be like this. You said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Am I really meek? Do I really display that? Am I, is my heart really there? Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom. Am I really a peacemaker? Do I cause too much trouble, Lord? Am I, is the motive of my heart to be right, or is the motive of my heart to make peace? And then the Lord just really starts dealing with you on some of these areas. Are you guys with me? But we can't be any more Christians that are, Christians that are chasing after the promises and the blessing of God, but yet we're not letting the character of Christ be developed in us. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, well, I'm going to pray for you. Did you guys get anything out of this tonight? Okay, praise God.
Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.